sisters. We greet you in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's the Lord of glory. That's not just a vain title, that's a reality. He's the Lord of all that's glorious. As far as we are concerned, absolutely nothing is glorious or can be glorious apart from Him. God is not glorified apart from considerations of the Son of God. As far as we are concerned, nothing and no one is greater than Jesus except for, of course, God Himself. Nothing is more powerful than Him. Nothing is better than Him. He has been highly exalted. How high has He been exalted? Above all principality and dominion and power. And He's got a name above every name that's been named in heaven and earth. And unless the people of God become acquainted with the Jesus that's declared in the Scriptures, there is no salvation and there is no hope. Those who do not know Jesus do not know God. And so they are without God and without hope in the world. So everything that we speak from this pulpit concerning the Son of God is not an optional thing to take hold of. God expects you to know His Son and He expects you to know His Son well. There's nothing that you can do in this whole world that's worth more than knowing Jesus. Jesus is the best thought that you'll ever have. He's the best word that you'll ever speak. He's the best song that you'll ever sing. He's the greatest thing that anyone could ever possibly hope for. He's worth everything. And I pray that you're thinking about Him and speaking about Him and singing about Him and longing after Him. I hope this morning that you are alive in Him and satisfied in Him. And if you're not, you can be. Today marks our 50th lesson in our series on the person of Jesus Christ. And we will consider the phrase that Paul spoke here in the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians in verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we Him no more. Now, despite this plain statement in the Holy Scriptures, today there are multitudes of people who are seeking to understand and considering a Jesus that is purely after the flesh. In many places today, a Jesus is being preached that stirs up carnality, that stirs up carnal considerations about Him. After hearing some of these messages, it's not a wonder that people would think that of Jesus as if He's still here on the earth. I'm sure you've all seen the bumper stickers that say, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. But he's more than our boss. He's the Lord. And he's no longer a Jewish carpenter. He's the Son of God. He's the preeminent Son of God at the right hand of God. Inappropriate considerations of Jesus are not really anything new. For instance, an improper view of Jesus has been perpetuated by Catholicism and Orthodoxy since the 3rd century A.D. There was a time when artists began to impose images of scriptural accounts upon the people. 
Artwork and illustration during this time practically flooded the church. And suddenly, physical imagery became more preeminent among the people than the words of Scripture themselves, which was not really even readily available to the peoples locked away in monasteries. Many of these images created by the, these artists are actually scripturally inaccurate. As a result, the people became more familiar with the image of Jesus Christ than the declaration of who He was in the Scripture. Thinking of an earthly Jesus, praying to a painting and a statue is practically a form of idolatry. Now I'm thankful that anything, anything that reminds me to consider, that provokes a thought within me to consider the Lord Jesus Christ, I give thanks for that. But when we think of Christ and how we are to know Him, it's really not after the flesh. Therefore, this is really not the Lord Jesus Christ as He should be known. This is not really the Lord Jesus Christ as He should be known. You have people today that say, well, consider His ethnicity ethnicity, where he was from, and they go through computer-generated models of what he might have looked like in the flesh. This is not how Jesus is to be known. There's even recently, they had this uh, Italian photographer, he, had, he went through all these specialized computerized renderings to render the what was the most likeness of Jesus Christ. This is not how Jesus Christ is to be known. He's not to be known after the flesh. Over the years, the image has changed, but it hasn't changed in order to clarify the person of Jesus Christ. He's clarified in the Scriptures. He's not clarified by a physical representation. It's actually only served to satisfy human curiosity. We live in a day and age where human curiosity has been has become one of the most, the premier driving forces of the consideration when it comes to the unknown. It's sad to say that. While I understand that coming to know God is no doubt captivating to the soul, we do not follow after God to merely satisfy our own curiosity. More specifically, human curiosity. When human curiosity attempts to discover the spiritual realm, it never produces anything good. That action actually produces a tremendous liability for mankind. It has the potential to open terrible doors that should never be opened. It leads to thoughts that should never be entertained. It leads not only to philosophy and superstition, but to the occult. The books that the Ephesians burned after they came to the knowledge of the truth, were books filled with practices known as curious arts. God's will for us is not to know every single detail of life and how the world works while living at a distance from Him. God's will is not to fill you in on every vain detail of life in the world and satisfy your carnal curiosity. That's not the will of God for your life. 
God is not a novelty. The knowledge of God is essential knowledge. It's not vanity. It's not inconsequential knowledge. Knowing God isn't just neat. Not just neat. No one curiously serves God. Our pressing in to know Him is in light of who He has declared Himself to be in the Scriptures. It's an, it's an aspiration of who He is and what we aspire to become like Him. God is a spirit. Those who serve Him must, must serve Him in spirit and truth. In other words, considerations of Jesus that are only considered to satisfy human curiosity or to provide only worldly details are not only vain considerations, they are dangerous considerations. Jesus is no longer in the world. Just as He said, I am no longer in the world. And the angels at the tomb said, Why seek, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. We could say, we could say some of the, some, some of the people who herald this as Jesus. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He isn't here. He's risen. In our text this morning, Paul reasons in the same manner. He said, and he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him and die, which died for them and rose again, and rose again, therefore, for this reason that he rose again, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. The Amplified Bible says, Consequently, from now on we estimate and regard no one from a purely human point of view, in terms of the natural standards, in terms of natural values. No, even though once we did estimate Christ from a human viewpoint and as a man, yet now we have such knowledge of him that we no longer, we know, we know him no longer in terms of the flesh. When it comes to thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ or the brethren in Christ or any man for that matter, we are to utterly renounce any and all human judgments and assessments according to the flesh when it comes to things pertaining to God. That's why we address each other with by brother and sister. We're not just doing that because there's a tradition behind that. We address the, the regenerate part. Brother given. Sister June. See, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a fellowship there that transcends, transcends flesh and blood. We do not make our ultimate assessment of others by their worldly lot in life, by how they live in, but, but we assess them by how they live in relation to Jesus Christ. Our relationship with others is in the spirit without allowing the flesh room for influence. Our association is without respect of persons. James actually said, if you have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So if a person comes in the assembly and they're like decked out, they, 
they're all extravagant and stuff. This was their the manner of some people is that they would they would give that person a premier seat because they would assess them uh, off of their worldly standing and not who they were in relation to Christ Jesus. The Pharisees looked down at the tax collectors and harlots as people who would be forever rejected by God because they had been known what they had been known to do in the past. But Jesus told them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. They were wrong about the intentions of those who came to Jesus because they assessed them merely after the flesh. God has reminded us of the vanity of human assessment. He said things like, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. David said, Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. God's thoughts, his ways, his purpose, where he goes, what he does is absolutely 100% hidden from natural man. They are beyond natural man's ability to know or discover. The scriptures say, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. If anyone thinks they are better off for entertaining the things of God according to the flesh, by the capacity of the natural man, they have sorely missed the mark. No one should even think that they can assess Jesus the same way and come to know him better after the flesh. Those who would know Jesus must come to know him by faith, not by sight. All those who desire to look unto Jesus through the eyes of faith in the, in the spirit of God, we actually possess a different kind of curiosity. We possess a holy inquisitiveness, a divine curiosity, so to speak. See, this is the posture that every true child of God has. We've been given the Spirit of God. It testifies with His Spirit. We've been given the mind of Christ. So we, we seek the Lord in this posture. If you can see Jesus not after the flesh, and this is the point that I want to make, it's actually evidence that you're a new creation. Immediately following this verse, it confirms this. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Yeah. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Yeah. The, the, the relationship that we have to the Lord Jesus Christ is now it's a new thing. It's not according to the flesh anymore. Our relationship with the things of God are not according to the flesh. There's a, there's a new, there's newness. We're walking in newness of life. Paul reasoned, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Now, now he didn't say, If you are risen with Christ, seek those things which are on the earth. 
Seek to find out what Jesus really looked like while he was here. No, it says, if you are then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. There, there, that's where we're setting our affection. That's where we're setting our attention. We don't seek an earthly Jesus. But why do some people seek an earthly Jesus? Because they haven't been made new. They haven't been seated in heavenly places. They haven't been risen with Christ. That's why they're seeking an earthly Jesus. Be risen with Him. The more you as a new creation look upon the face of Christ by faith, the more you are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. The more you consider Him by faith, having not seen, having not seen, the more blessed you will be because the blessing is to those who believe and have not seen. Jesus said, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. There's a, there's a sight of faith that is far superior to your natural eyesight. Amen. The more you think about Jesus in the flesh, therefore, the more his person will actually be hidden to you. It, it veils him. It hides him. This is confirmed multiple times throughout the scripture. It's written, and when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue in so much as they were astonished and said, whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and, and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. They not only knew what Jesus' physical appearance actually looked like. I mean, they, they had the real deal, right? They were standing right in front of Him. They could see what He actually looked like. And they knew His earthly occupation. And they understood His family situation. With all of these things at the forefront of their consideration, it caused them to reject what He said and who He claimed to be. They dishonored the Lord because they thought of Him lower than they ought to have. Because of a familiarity with His flesh. Their judgment based solely on what they understood about His earthly situation and in the light of viewing Jesus as a mere man, according to the flesh, they concluded that He could not possibly be someone who was actually sent by the Father with a message. And you'll under, you'll notice this, that familiarity with the flesh of a person always has a disarming effect. Dishonor is more likely to come from someone you personally know or in a place where people are familiar with you and even your kind, as they like to say in this country. The more you try and tie Jesus down to an earthly culture or appearance or likeness, or similitude to fallen man, the more likely it is that the real Jesus will actually be an offense to you. This does not mean that we deny that Jesus came in the flesh. I want to, I want to make that clear. God forbid that we deny Jesus came in the flesh. We do not think that the reality of the world, word being made flesh is vain. 
It was physical flesh and blood man that sinned against God. All flesh and blood mankind sinned against the Lord. And so it necessitated that a real flesh and blood man had to come and pay the price for that sin. We do not deny that. But nevertheless, just because Jesus became a real flesh and blood man does not mean that he remained that way on earth forever. There was a point in time where Jesus said he was no longer in the world. Those his words. Because Jesus' physical appearance does not clarify his person. It hides it. The flesh doesn't reveal Jesus and it doesn't reveal who we are either, does it? We don't appear what we shall be, but we know when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Jesus said, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. That's it. In, 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 in terms of eternality, your flesh really does nothing, accomplishes nothing. He said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Jesus speaks to us in the spirit, not according to the flesh. Nothing Jesus said was to ever ultimately be considered from an earthly point of view. There is nothing about Jesus' physical person according to the flesh that profits us then. And there is nothing about your flesh that profits you either. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit. And rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. The Amplified Bible says, And put no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on our outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. There's absolutely nothing about your life in the flesh that commends you to God. God is not a respecter of persons, religious or otherwise. There isn't anything about our lot in life that gives us an advantage for salvation. Remember that the next time Satan tempts you to think that it, it does have something to do with your salvation. The flesh profits nothing. Don't give place to it now. In fact, your fleshly situation might actually turn out to be a liability if it's left unchecked. Forget about advantages. It might actually be a liability. You've got to crucify it, put it to death. Whether that's a whether whether you have great riches or a royal bloodline or a degree from a university or an excellent speaking ability, public speaking ability, the message is the same. Not one of those will really assist you one bit in laying hold on who Jesus is. In fact, if you want to know Jesus, you'll find that you're going to have to give up much of those things either by physically abandoning them or by not esteeming them or regarding them anymore. This is what Paul... Paul was still a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. He didn't forsake that. That, he was still, that was still valid, but he didn't esteem that as something that commended him to God any longer. He said, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ... Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And you count them. 
I do count them but dung. That's how he thought about the things that were once gained to him. He didn't give something up and say, well, if I have to give it up, I guess I'll give it up for Christ. No, he willingly gave that up and saw it for what it really was in relation to the Lord. The point is, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a divine message from heaven and God works through that message to save you. What It's what Jesus said that matters. Not how He appeared according to the flesh. It's a message that has power. Both in how it's spoken and how you live that message out. Drawing attention to the flesh will never win anyone over to God. It actually neutralizes the power of God. Because His words are spirit and life. Flesh and blood has no... Flesh and blood has no place in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Amen. It's God that God's the one that allows a man to hear. No man heard because he was provoked by what you look like. And no man heard Jesus because they were provoked what he physically looked like either. Can you remember? Can you remember when you were converted to Christ for a minute? Can you remember what the person who spoke to you was wearing? Can you go into specific details about how many lines were on his tie? How many shoelaces he had? What color his shoes were? Can you go into great detail about the person that delivered that message to you when you needed it? And if you could go into detail, well, like, would it really matter? Or did it really matter what he said? See, it's the message. It's the words of God. The power of salvation came from God and it didn't come from the man who gave it. It came from the, the Lord Jesus Christ. It came from the Holy Spirit. When the flesh becomes the central consideration, the power is always lost. It's always lost. This is a matter of life and death. And I want to demonstrate... <clears throat> What effect this has had on people to consider Jesus after the flesh. Now there was a photo being circulated on social media just a few months ago. And this photo of a piece of paper with things drawn on it was circulated among leaders, spiritual leaders and outreach evangelists. Hundreds of them were posting this. This is what it says. This year I want to be more like Jesus. Hang out with sinners. Upset religious people. Tell stories that make people think. Choose unpopular friends. Be kind, loving, and merciful. And take naps on boats. That list is a reproach to the Son of God. And it betrays a confession of being a new creation in Christ. An atheist can do all of these things. Someone that doesn't know the Lord can do all of these things. It's demeaning to the Lord of glory to assess Him as if He was some sort of political activist. So I made a new list. And every time I encountered this, I posted this new list. This year, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to never sin. I want to only speak the things that God wants me to speak. 
I want to only do and seek the things that please the Father. I want to forsake my own will to do God's will. I want to offer up my entire life to God. I want to heal the sick, lame, deaf, blind, and mute. How about cast out demons? Why wasn't that, why didn't that make the list? What about raise the dead? Why didn't that make the list? I want to choose friends who are serious about the Lord and willing to forsake everything to follow after Him. I want to be able to take a nap on a boat in the middle of a Category 5 hurricane. Okay? This, the point that I'm making is that why, why was this written? It's because this Jesus was only known after the flesh. That's why. Today, Christian movies and TV series are becoming increasingly popular. And I'm not condemning anybody who, who, who makes them. I'm not condemning people who watch them. I've even watched them on occasion. I've, th- I've had good thoughts. Uh, I've had good considerations. Anything that stirs up your mind to a profitable consideration is good. Anywhere Jesus is preached, I rejoice that He's preached. But nevertheless, I found something personally that there's something about a visual representation of the things of God that tends to interfere with the sight of faith. It, it, it seems like there's a, there, there comes a point where people, they tend to take these things almost as a substitute for the Word of God. And these things are not and cannot be a substitute for the Word of God. It's the things of God can't be contained in visual similities and, and, and representatives. It can't. We can't take the word of God and assess it according to human wisdom and understanding. We can't take the record of Scripture and nail it to the earth. It's got to fly. You've got to fly. You've got to get up in the heavenly places. When Jesus ascended into heaven on the Mount of Olives, it is stated, And it came to pass while He blessed them, He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Amen! What happened? Jesus wasn't here anymore and He was seated at the right hand of God and and they saw him there by faith. That's what it produced. And that's what it will produce today, every time. When Jesus, when, his, when the primary consideration of him is not of this world, but seated at the right hand of God, and that, that's a primary focus, this is what it will produce. Brethren, we are indeed risen with Christ. If you are indeed risen with him, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God, where He ever liveth to make intercession for us. We're thankful for the exalted Christ Jesus. Thank you, brethren. Brother Robert has our exhortation.